Hello, and welcome back to the Discard Pile, a board game podcast out of Vancouver, BC. I'm Robin, here with Jim, Amy, and today we're doing our top 10 board game bucket lists. For me, when I was making this list, I just kind of went through and um, was thinking about experiences I want to have, so experiences both to do with games and then uh, ones to do with board game hobby. And I know we all built our list in a slightly different way. I'm so interested to hear what we'll we'll have. Yeah, I'm super interested to see what you guys put. I think this list could go in a lot of different directions. Clearly, some of mine are just games that I would really like to play that I haven't had the chance to play yet. But a lot of them are like experiences that I would like to have. And it will be very interesting to see what you guys put. The first one of mine is a game I've never played. It's a game I don't own a copy of. I know maybe one person that has a copy of this. Um, so might be interested in getting a game together this in, in the future. This one is called Republic of Rome. This is actually one of the inspirations for John Company, which is why I was kind of interested in, in, in looking into this game because it's, it's sort of a simulation basis. Like John Company is a simulation of the British East India Company and everybody is competing families that are running the company uh, via um, members of their family owning different or different positions within the company. So Republic of the Rome is a simulation of 250 years of um, Roman history uh, as you're trying to deal with external forces and then also all the different aspects of running Rome. And so everybody is controlling different families that are powerful uh, members of the aristocracy in, in Rome and yeah, proposing new policies and a lot of negotiation um, as the sort of simulation has various forces that try to take down Rome. So it's a semi-cooperative, just like the same as same concept as John Company. Although much older, this is 1990. Oh, wow. um, and it was the old Avalon Hill Valley Games edition. It is six players, though, so it's quite a commitment. Wow. Like must be well, at six? Best at six. Best at six. Best at six. Yeah. So it's definitely like an all day, all day game. Do you, do you know game length? Uh, I think it's probably about four or five hours. Yeah, but. okay. That sounds awesome. I would totally play this. It kind of, I mean, John Company captured me when I first heard about it. Uh, no longer has you captured? No, it, it does. And I, I think there's not enough games like it that kind of like live in that space of a little bit more fluid. It's the less rigidity in how the game's going to play out. And in some ways lets you make a lot of mistakes just in trusting people or is not even trying to achieve an end game goal, but you can make a lot of moves that don't do anything in games like this, which can be terrifying, but I, I think they're so cool and they yeah allow for a lot of expression that a lot of other games don't really let you have. Yeah, I largely go into John Company and these types of games without having a competitive edge in them. I'm just playing for the experience, which is not to say that I'm tr not trying to win. It's, um, you know, I used to Dungeons and Dragons a bit, so I like role playing when uh, a game might encourage it. So uh, taking a role of a senator in ancient Rome, trying to pass different uh, policies that might benefit the factions mm -hmm. I'm tied with, plays well, into that. Well, you can recruit you know? multiple senators. And, exactly. and a very successful senator can become emperor. Mm. Yeah, I never you played know, Lancaster, and... but that... Lancaster? Lancaster. Lancaster? Lancaster. Where you could, like... Matthias Kramer. Yeah, where yeah. you could yeah. put in... Um, 
you vote on the laws that yes get yeah yeah and yeah it changes the game conditions that's the best part of that game yeah i love the idea of like uh opaque game in conditions or um victory point conditions and mm-hmm. um like to see even more in the games but yeah it's a super cool entry yeah that would be definitely something i'd be interested in for sure very cool what's it called uh that's republic of rome nice I'll jump on a game that uh, I don't own and would love to play, and it's actually a game that I do know someone that owns it, and they're sitting right here at this table, and that's Jim. This game is Study in Emerald 1st Edition. I love Study in Emerald 2nd Edition. I think mm-hmm. it's really cool how the theme is integrated with the game, as well as with like the story that is a Study in Emerald, and I really love the deck building, and I don't usually love area control games but i think this one does it really well uh it's just really cool and yeah one of my favorite games for sure and i have never played the first edition which is crazy because you know yeah in some ways it's maybe a little bit more all over the place and Mm -hmm. a little more chaotic but uh, i think like you said going to john company you as long as you're okay knowing that that's going to happen you can kind of prepare mentally for it and i'm sure it'd be a game i would really really love so that's definitely uh, on my list yeah it doesn't scratch the same itch as john company by any means because it is much more of a traditional deck builder with a social deduction social deduction element but um it is it does lend to that side of chaos there's a lot of rails and streamlining second edition added onto it uh, which really defeats the purpose of the game for me personally because some backstory so i first played a study in emerald first edition at the very first shucks and mm-hmm. it was like we start at like 10 p.m or just like yes, enough we were time kind to... of delirious <laughs> yeah we've we playing. been playing games all day it was our first real board game convention we went to as a group and then a mutual friend brought out study of emerald and it's kind of a game that has a base set of rules but if certain cards come up a whole bunch of additional rules come yeah, into the game like- <laughs> Like whole modules that may show up or may not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember not taking it too seriously because I was totally out of it that night. I was just exhausted from playing so many uh, heavy games that day. But had probably some of the best board gaming experiences in my life. I went home after Shucks and immediately sought a copy of it, specifically the first edition, which is hard to get a hold of. I ended mm-hmm. up shipping my copy from luxembourg for like 30 euro and it came with a copy of chaos of the old world which maybe helped me fix up um so yeah good good times good connections to that game yeah i remember enjoying it i liked (laughs) like it is very chaotic so i i was probably not in the right mindset to really um get into it and the theme doesn't really like draw me in that much. It's it's okay. Like I I understand the 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 fascination with the theme, but I, the thing I do I do also like the second edition quite a bit, and I like that the second edition really is very clear with the core mechanism, which is that sort of um, hidden not hidden traitor, I guess like but hidden kind of the teams. two sides. Yeah, the teams like facing off each other, and like it's much easier to distill in that one. Who is what? Yeah. Who it? Who is what? Yeah. And less punishing if you don't figure it out. Completely. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I see reasons to, to like both. Yeah. I think in some ways it's not going to be as great as I imagine it is, but 
it's been so long that I've wanted to play it that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really grown in my mind as something that I think I would really enjoy. And hopefully I get to find out soon. That's Study in Emerald First Edition. Cool. Going along the lines of um, specific board games that we know that the group kind of has or is readily available and that we want to play. Um, I mentioned this game previously, and it's definitely a convention game. I've actually got two games for this bullet point because they're kind of the same elk. Blood on the Clock Tower, the guys know i'm really into my social deduction games even though our group probably doesn't like them as much as i do i just like playing the people more than the game Uh, i used to play poker at university so that's where um that itch was scratched then um and it's I, i love playing those types of board games where i'm just trying to play off the player more than the game itself and alongside of that is two rooms and a boom i just like the idea of a whole bunch of people who are enthusiastic about a board game coming in and being forced to talk to each other and determine what team you're on and um, play out that really great social uh, aspect of the board gaming community. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Like these two specifically are so reliant on that sort of high player count and that sort of um, yeah audience that really understands that type of game that like they're really convention games in my mind and Mm -hmm. i would definitely try them um and you know i have phases where i'm more into various social deduction games um but then than not but yeah they're good they're good i don't know if i would ever really want to try blood on the clock tower it does the thing where you know you all close your eyes and a bunch of stuff happens i feel like those games obviously work really well for some groups but there's a lot of time spent doing that and if anything goes wrong or you're not having a great time. It kind of elongates the amount of mm-hmm. time you're playing the game. Whereas something like Two Rooms in a Boom, I would 100% play. It, You know, you just get right into the action. Uh, each side is constantly talking and constantly negotiating various things. I think it's a lot less, yeah. Uh, Reliant on knowing the game and being in love with the game mechanics. Like, I feel like at a convention, I could grab someone who might just be visiting for whatever reason pull them into a room and say with these 28 other players we're going to play this game which is going to be really fun i would not feel comfortable doing that with blood on the clock tower i feel like you need people to buy in to blood and the clock tower you can't just spur of a moment let's break it out these people have to be into social deduction they have to know each role uh inside and out or at least the roles within that game itself and you need that dedicated storyteller, um, which, you know, a lot of modern day dungeon crawlers are moving away from having a dedicated GM. So this is kind of going the other way. But from what I hear, it really helps out with both the storytelling and keeping players who might be uh, identified or eliminated early engaged with the game. So, yeah, it's still on my bucket list. I don't know when I'll get to try it out. Um, hopefully conventions will still run it in the next couple of years and I can give it a go. But that was blood. On the clock tower and two rooms and a boom. I think this would have been on my list three years ago as well. Mm. So I just Wait, haven't evolved yet. I just, why, why three years? Because I, I got to the point where I, I didn't think I was going to ever find that group. Mm. Like I would want to play it with all of my friends. Like the people that I play games with and that I know. I, I There's part of me that really doesn't want to go into a group of 25 random you mm. know, convention goers and play this right. game. I totally would for two rooms. I wouldn't with blood which is I, pretty much 
why i think i would too but if it was on my bucket list it would be specifically with like nine other people that i know like Mm, it would be the people that we play games with those people all in a room i think could be one of the best experiences for gaming or you know gaming in general Mm. ridgecon yeah one day maybe it'll happen and play ridgecon it's a great it's a great choice jim good job thank you i need the validation reflecting back on my my list and this has to do with the next one i I realize all of these are like very player count dependent i would say um but uh this next one is on the list because i don't really play that many two-player games and this one in particular is very intriguing because uh you know it's it's quite lauded in in board gaming um but this is twilight struggle and this is one that I've never played. And it used to be number one on BGG for a long time, but I just never had it or knew anyone that, you know, would have really wanted to to engage with it. So, yeah, this is definitely up there for me. Yeah, I've played this one a very long time ago. I don't really remember um, how it went. I remember that it wasn't really something I enjoyed at the time, but I could tell that it was a very deep game and that, you know, obviously... A very special game. Um, I do have tw- Twilight Squabble if you ever want to play that, which is the ten <laughs> the game, little, the little <laughs> ten tiny, card tiny one. Yeah, this is a great choice. I think it it holds like a special place in board game history, and yeah, definitely an interesting one. Why just like all the things I know about it? Yeah, it's just never really emerged that, and I don't actually see it out on trades or anything like people. I guess people don't really sell it uh, if they own it but yeah i'll play (laughs) yeah two-player i mean obviously can be a little bit hard to find the time and Mm -hmm. yeah it's mainly if it's like 90 minute two-player yeah this is a little bit longer isn't it uh it depends on the play of it it can end pretty early um, but it can also go quite late Mm -hmm. there's multiple end conditions uh yeah i've i think it's funny it makes a lot of connections to what Jim was saying about Blood on the Clock Tower before, where the it's very group dependent. If you're playing with someone else that's experiencing the game for the first time, I think it would be a really great experience. But if you've played a bunch of games of it, you're just going to demolish your right. opponent. So exploring Like you know it, what's in the deck. and Yeah. 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 Apparently it's a big part of the game. Okay. My two-player game that's on my list that I would love to try is uh, a Star Wars game. It's, in fact, the best Star Wars game of all time. Like, highest ranked. The highest ranked Star Wars game of all time, and that is Star Wars Rebellion. Right. Uh, I just picked this up recently after a long time of wanting to play it with the expansion, which apparently makes it much better, um, and is a game that I've wanted to play since it came out quite a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It is a 1v1 game. You can play 2v2, but most people say it's strictly best at 1 versus 1. It's a game where one person plays the Empire and is searching for the Rebel base, and the Rebels are slowly trying to uh, gather plans to destroy the Death Star, as you would in the video in the movie, as mm-hmm. as happens in the movie. Oh, spoilers! Well, spoilers for yeah. We'll put, Jim, put a warning at the beginning that, of this episode. Oh, Star Wars if you spoilers! Haven't seen if you haven't seen episode episode four, one, two, three. Oh, I've seen two and Rogue One. I've seen two. All the characters are in it. You can have, uh, for example, like Chewbacca can get frozen in carbonite or whatever it is instead of Han Solo or Luke. Instead of Han who, Solo? who gets frozen in carbonite? Han, yeah. Yeah, okay, great. 
yeah, instead. So I mean, various characters can play various roles in the okay. storyline, which is kind of funny. Uh, and then it's also like a deduction game where at the beginning of the game, the rebels hide their base on a planet mm, and right. the empire is slowly blowing up planets, trying to destroy the rebel base with the Death Star, but they're not right. really sure which planet it is. Don't say the planet or else. I wouldn't say the planet. Yeah. It's also spoilers. Exactly. Yeah. Hoth. It's Hoth. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Is that the icy one? That's the icy yeah. one. Yeah. Nice. That's where the rebel base is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, it, it's a, a game all about theme i would love to watch the movies and then play this with someone that would really enjoy it and i'm excited that i think it will happen sooner than later mm-hmm. and yeah two player highly thematic just have the soundtrack going yes for sure yeah make a day of it yeah wait it takes a day to play no, no. two hours probably yeah right? okay yeah not too long you can have a star wars theme day but since we've slowly moved to its uh big ip games there's one on my list uh, which I have actually played, and by all means, it is not a good game. Oh, I've, yeah, I played okay. this when I was like eight at camp. One of my friends had it, and he has since lost it. Didn't even sell it. He has lost the game. That's rough. Um, so I've gone through a mode where I'm trying to collect uh, out-of-print games, not just because I want rare games, but I've played all of these out-of-print games, and I want to make sure I own a copy of it. Um, and this is Pokemon Master Trainer, first mm-hmm. edition. Not any of the other Master Trainers, of which there are many now. There's like seven dif- um, different ones, which is why my Facebook Marketplace notification just goes off once a week with the wrong edition of the game. But um, yeah, this game has many problems. One such instance that if you don't get one of the free starters at the beginning of the game it is nigh impossible to win and and that's just how they designed it but they cashed in uh on a big ip and it holds a lot of good memories in my mind and i would like it to join my collection this is one that i had as a kid uh and i didn't play it that much but i remember really enjoying it and i've lost it since then I think I probably you just also lost it. I, as a child, I probably just took it all apart. Exactly. Oh, and then eventually was like, well, half these pieces are missing. I'll throw it in the trash. So sad, but uh, unfortunately true. But yeah, I would, you know, definitely play it again. Yeah, I think it'll, it'll be probably a, be terrible. It, actually, I was going to say it's probably good for like a board game study on how we would take a game and improve it. Yeah. But I just don't think they designed that game, you know, with the means of it being anything more than something they can sell a lot of. Mm-hmm. So right. I'm not sure if it's even worth that exercise. Um, but yeah, would would love to own a copy. If you do have a copy, please contact Robin and uh, <laughs> he'll forward it on to me. Yeah. That was Pokemon Master Trainer. First edition. This is the first of mine that's an experience that you would want to do that's uh, related to board games um this one might happen sooner rather than later uh this one is one i've been thinking about for a couple of years is um going to one of the editions of tokyo game market and this is probably the biggest japanese um uh, board game convention and these are specifically like um for buying games like these two places there's not much in terms of playing uh there are demos um, but it's such a 
yeah, it's always such an intriguing. I have a lot of small box <laughs> Japanese games, so I'm always kind of interested in in checking these out, especially because apparently a lot of game publishers will only publish some here and like may not come back into print ever, which you know maybe says something about the quality of the game. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's usually a lot of things I want from each of the game market lists, so uh, definitely would maybe want to go this year and, and check it out and pick up a few, a few titles I've been wanting to get. Yeah, I would love to do this one day. I, I think it's not at the top of my list of all of the various game things that are going on in the world. But um, yeah, definitely a, a really cool and kind of different experience mm-hmm. related to gaming. Yeah, and again, like I, I would do other stuff there. Like I, I would go because it's around the same time as the one of the biggest art book fairs in the, in the world, which is Tokyo Art Book Fair. So I'll probably go for that and the game market. Um, and then also go to a couple of cities I haven't been to probably, like Osaka or so. I do worry with conventions about the language barrier, but if this one's more of a marketplace, then... Uh, yeah. Just because, especially in board game conventions, you're going to want to learn how to play the game. And if there's mm-hmm. a language barrier, that might be more difficult. I think the bigger publishers will have like English rules. They usually uh, provide them on the outside of the boxes or like alongside the boxes. So... Cool. That sounds great. My next one is a game that I have played, but I've never played it in this specific way. And this game is Memoir 44. So Memoir 44 is a Days of Wonder game that's been around for quite a long time now. It's a World War II game where you have infantry, tanks, artillery, you're rolling dice and trying to destroy your opponent's units, which uh, if you've destroyed enough ends the game in victory. This is a really simple, simple game, but gets elevated if you have two copies of the game. You can mix them together to play a four versus four team variant. And this is called Memoir 44 Overlord. The idea of playing anything with eight players is kind of crazy, as so many games just don't go up to that level. And to play a game where there are teams of four players each sounds really cool. And because Memoir 4 is so simple, it feels like a game that, you know, could be pretty fun played that way. Mm Mm-hmm. I've watched a couple of videos of other people playing it. It seems pretty cool. And yeah, just like a really interesting experience. Wait, it's an official variant? It's an official variant. Okay. Does this mean there's multiple maps? Yeah, there's multiple maps. So you can either buy like specific maps for it, or you can just put two main mm. boards together, which makes a extremely long map. So there's also specific missions? There are specific missions built for it, yeah. If you buy, so you could play with the original cards or you can buy a Memoir 44 Overlord box set, which comes with a specific deck made for that system as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I've been slowly trying to acquire a couple of copies of Memoir 44 and trying to get the Overlord deck and hoping that, yeah, one day could play a six player like 3v3 or an eight player 4v4 version of the game. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be fun. It is like Mm -hmm. not really you know, dudes on a map, war no, games. but it's got that, you know, you're acting as, like, a general in a war. Yeah. Right. And there's a specific mission. So it's not just, like, moving, rolling dice, and what have you, seeing what happens. I mean, a lot of it is that, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's a lot of strategy involved. It's less tactical than I thought it'd be in the game we're playing. But, yeah, because there's a lot of 
really cool cards in the deck. But like this game you have flies. To plan for, you have to like get in position for those cards or Yes and like no. That. Like I stacked one side of the battlefield and just couldn't draw into the cards I needed to activate my people, which is a bit frustrating. But having those challenges come up and trying to figure your way around them without losing too many of your troops is a puzzle in itself. So it's not just like a you know, a mirror trash, dudes on a mat, rolls some dice and see what happens. There's an underlying strategy that's worth exploring in Memoir 44. Yeah, in the four-player version, three people are playing the game. So there's three battlefields going on, one versus one versus one, basically. Mm-hmm. And then two-player are the generals, which is basically the draw deck, and they're determining what the players are drawing. Oh, so they draw all the cards at the beginning of the round and then like distribute them out to the players. And then those generals now have to decide how they're going to use those cards in their battlefield. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you want to give Jim a bunch of good cards and then say, okay, we're going to push the left flank really hard, mm-hmm. but you know maybe Robin's sitting on the right hand flank and I'm just like feeding him the crap cards that I draw because mm-hmm. it, you know we're just not going to push that side. Instead, we're going to defend over there. That's like a strategic choice that you're making, and then you have to kind of tell your generals that like, hey, you're getting the weaker cards right now, but right. it's because we're trying to trying to put pressure over here and then later get into a position tell me when you're strong i'll feed you some good cards and then we'll strike on that side of the board okay yeah, yeah sounds cool i don't know much about the core mechanics of it's this a lot one, of but rolling dice good. and oh, okay. hoping yeah hoping yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah something that sounds like a lot of fun that's okay. memoir 44 overlord my next one is game related it is probably my favorite game ever and it's something we've talked about specifically around this table as well and that game is great western trail but what do i want to do with it i want to make my own deluxe version of great western trail (laughs) we kind of had this conversation a while back and my friends here largely thought i was kidding um but i feel like this alexander fister classic could use a little bit of a glow up if you will at the time, we had played Orleans as well, and I was like, well, a bag builder is pretty similar to a deck builder. So I want to, you know, go out and find little cow meeples and paint them and replace all the cows in the deck with cow meeples. I want little trains. I know with 2nd edition, and I think, no, it was 2nd edition, they came out with meeples with cowboy hats. Mm-hmm. I just want to yeah. take all of that and take it, amp it up to like 11, you know, I feel like I've run with this game for so long. It's easily my most played game ever at this stage, I think. Uh, And I would love to give it the uh, glamorous makeover it deserves. Not to say it's an ugly game by European game standards, but there's just so much out there on Kickstarter that has ridiculous 3D printed miniatures Mm. and stuff like that. And I usually don't buy into it, but why not for a game that you've played 20 plus odd times and don't ever plan to sell or get rid of or stop playing? Yeah, this one we talked about how to do it. <laughs> um, the main uh, thing is the objective cards, like how to get that onto a cow. <laughs> yeah. But I guess you could like letter them and like assign a letter to the, your objective card and put that lettered cow into your deck so you know which one you're drawing which objective card you're drawing yeah so doable mm-hmm. little uh, 3d printed yeah city tile buildings place them on the board those exist i've seen those Ooh, yeah. that'd be cool yeah I, there's a couple things one is that i know you can buy a little horse for your cowboys mm-hmm. i think that would be like uh, an easy way to start an out easy your, win your upgrade yeah 
But then imagine if that little horse had a whole bunch of little cows following it. And it, that's mm-hmm. exactly what I was going to say. So <laughs> the I would do this if we decided to rule that it's all open for information. Because currently your hand of cards that are cows is not open information. But if you had to move the cows behind you on the track. Oh, I'd, I thought they would just be in a bag. Like yeah, a bag builder. It would be, be a bag builder. Yeah, but then you have to draw them into your hand, right? Yes. <laughs> and then you're going to hide them from your opponents in your hand? Oh, so just yeah. the drawn ones. The drawn ones are revealed. Yeah, and I don't think that. I think that's fine. And then I you don't... must put them on the board where you are. Or where, behind your little behind horse. Behind your yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And if two people are at the same place and the cow groups get slightly and you end up with an extra white and I end up with an extra purple... That's just how it that's goes. Just how, that's just how Old yeah. West <laughs> Old West cattle wrangling goes. And, and you know when yeah. you like <laughs> deliver your cows, yeah. uh, you get the opportunity to upgrade your board. And one of those upgrades is a larger hand size. Yes. Instead, you get a little sheepdog meeple, mm. which means you can take another cow with you because that right, sheepdog right. will keep that cow in line. Keep it in line, yeah. yeah. It's a great idea, Jim. One of your best. Yeah. <laughs> And that was Great Western Trail Ultra Deluxe Edition. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. The Bag Builder. This one is a genre game I don't have a lot of experience in. It is a role-playing game or role type of role-playing game, I would say. Like I, I I'm interested in maybe pursuing like some role-playing games, but I'm not really interested in like a campaign. So I've heard of these ones called like One Shot. Uh, oh. RPGs where they are like one session and to kind of tell a complete story and I'm kind of intrigued about doing uh, some of these. One that I know, yeah, a group of guys that have recently done this. It was Ten Candles. Have you guys heard of this one? I don't think I've heard of this one. No. Basically the game is a tragic it's described as a tragic horror um, game for three to five players and a GM and you have a set of ten tea lights okay. and a dark room and the lights are the counter for the game a mm-hmm. countdown for the game and really it like by the by the final scene there's only one tea light and when the light goes out everybody has has died all the characters have have died there's no survivors in this game and the whole the whole story takes place within that that time frame so i know they seem it seems like interesting systems for for storytelling a lot of these little one shot scenarios so yeah i think that's really cool there's a lot of interesting stuff that people do with this the one that I have heard about, I can't remember what it's called, but it uses a Jenga tower. And mm. every time something happens that's negative in the game, you're forced to pull a, a piece out. Uh, and just the same way that the game is going to end when everyone dies in the candle game, the tower will eventually fall and the game will end. And whatever thing was slowly happening uh, will occur when the tower falls. So it kind of puts a limit on how long the game can be and it will always be a one shot because the tower will always eventually fall. And it also adds a sense of tension to the game just very naturally because you're all worried about it falling and you know that time is running out whether you like it or not. Yeah, I think stuff like that is really interesting. An RPG with a dexterity element. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So not to be reductive, I get the Jenga Tower because it's a game of chance and there by nature. How does the candles add to vrpg how does it oh it's i think certain points portions of the story you have to blow out a candle mm. so it's a kind of representing representing that 
hope is dwindling in the world. Or, yeah, it's yeah. cool. I mean, mm-hmm. it adds an atmospheric element. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Else. Not really maybe a mechanical element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Well, and just that experience of like being down to one candle and the story ending is, is something interesting that it builds up to. Yeah. It's not spoilers because it's in the first description of the game. Mm. But yeah, we could try something like that out one one evening just because uh, I feel like it's it's summer. It's the time for role playing games. Am I right? Is it? <laughs> sure. Um, Stranger Things. That's what they true. did, right? I, yeah. I haven't yeah. seen the. I've seen the show that <laughs> I'm just, assuming. I just I, well, they're it's like okay. kids, right? Yeah, That's what yeah, they're going to yeah, do. Yeah. They're going to get TV out for show summer. About, and, uh, they yeah. like Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. right? Yeah. And that was one-shot RPGs. Specifically. It was specifically 10 Candles. Uh, my next bucket list item is a game I have kind of played before, but not this version. So a long time ago... Uh, in a galaxy far, far. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, Star Star Wars Wars it's Star Wars again. It's yeah, Star Wars again. It's Star Wars again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, a, a while ago when I first got into board gaming, I played this game called Rex. And uh, I didn't, I mean, I, I loved playing the game. It was very fun, but it didn't really make it as one of my favorite games back then. But there was a lot of really cool things happening. And Rex is a game based off of Dune. So mm-hmm. when uh, Fantasy Flight lost the license to Dune, they made their own universe out of Twilight Imperium, and they just put that universe into this game. This game is a social game where there's a map in the middle of the table and you're vying over various parts of the map. But the thing that makes it really interesting is that every player has a really, really interesting player power. For example, one player can write things down Mm -hmm. uh, and no other player can write things down. There's one player that gets all the money spent in the game. Well, the player that can write things down, I'm guessing in that version, can also see the cards are going to people's hands yes exactly yes. so they true. know all the information well almost all the information exactly it's like an game. open information game for them but for no one else yes there's players yeah that get all the money that are spent on certain things in the game so every time someone buys a, a unit or an item the money goes to them i can't mm-hmm. remember if that's what you're buying yeah there's a player that has a chance to guess which player will win the game and if they guess correctly then they win themselves uh, they have to also guess on which turn that player is going to win the game. So all these really interesting player powers culminate into a really interesting social and war game of sorts. Uh, and because Dune has been so popular lately and the movies have come out, I've really dived back into that universe uh, and reread a bunch of the things that occur. Mm-hmm. In the story. And yeah, I think the theme of that game would really add to Rex and would be a game that I would really love to try out. So I don't know if it's going to happen this year or next year or in the next little while, but eventually at a convention or something like that, I definitely want to play Doom. Yeah, I definitely played this one again. I've only played it once, and Jim was at that table as well. Yep. I did not have a great time with that, but that was just how certain things worked out in the game. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love dudes on the map, giant six-player war games like that. I'd be down for that. I'd be down for Game of Thrones Second Edition. I'd be down for I can't think of well Twilight Imperium. Mm. Yeah, I think Game of Thrones Second Edition and Dune. For some reason, the theme brings me in enough that I would be okay playing these longer and you know maybe more confrontational games that I usually wouldn't be wanting to play. Mm-hmm. And for me, Twilight Imperium obviously is amazing, but doesn't have that same pull. Right. I think in Game of Thrones Second Edition and 
and Dune, there's more of a system. I don't know. I've never played Twilight Imperium, but mm. I, it feels like there's more of a system around like sort of the politicking or like playing the yeah player yeah. abilities as well. I love that in Game of Thrones specifically is you're buying over the free overall powers in the game while also simultaneously competing for uh, taking over territories. Mm-hmm. In June, something I really enjoyed that is a problem I feel in a lot of other area control games is alliances mm-hmm. alliances can only be forged at certain times in june and can only be broken at those times as well right um forcing you to partner up with someone who's progressively getting weaker i was that person <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think it solved a lot of the king making or just beating up on the person in first until the person in second overtakes while providing a very atmospheric area control game yeah so that's mine doing the board game not rex mm-hmm. <clears throat> my next thing is an experience rather than a specific game uh something i've also talked about quite a lot uh which i think generally lends itself to being a bucket list item so we play a lot of board games together i have recently moved into a new place and one of the things i really want to do is build my own board game table uh, we have a mutual friend who's got a background in woodworking and we've kind of on and off gone through certain designs for board game tables, but I think it's a relatively inexperienced operation for the two of us to, to invest in creating a table that really sparks joy while we're playing games. Um, we're a group that loves to sleeve our cards. We're a group that loves to deluxify when it calls towards it. So I think the table is the next thing and mm. i have a lot of issues with a lot of tables online they're overly large and uh have a lot of bells and whistles that i don't really care for and they just don't look modern mm-hmm. um i find a lot of the tables are these burly oaken role play medieval style right. games but look you can put a cup holder here and this is an area where you can store your dice or cards and there's a lot of that which i feel is fine for a table but you're adding a lot of extra room for Mm -hmm. things you might not necessarily need they all kind of look the same um, exactly as well but are you thinking of one that has like a cover yeah so the cover is actually the largest bit we've been going back and forth about because uh we obviously want to cover so it can be Mm -hmm. a dining table as well uh there's always a risk of spillage so you don't want to have uh slats over the table because water will still Mm -hmm. get between them a singular piece that covers the entire playing area might be too bulky to lift and remove all the time so we're going through designs some including a wee winch winch a wee witch. A wee witch. A wee witch. <laughs> and she rolling. transports the top yeah, of the table yeah, for yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. A witch. Just a small uh, I love mechanical designs. Right, uh, right. So. Have you checked out boardgametables.com? I have not. We, Dude, wouldn't, they, mind they, a, we wouldn't mind a sponsorship, by the wait, way. They sell board game tables? <laughs> I thought they just published board games. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsor us, please. Yeah, so that's a uh, board game adjacent item on my bucket list to build my own board game table 
my next one is actually a, a three games from a duo of designers that I, I really love all the games I own from them. Uh, it's just these ones have not hit the table. Um, I haven't, you know, part of it is also like sitting down and digesting the rules and um, being in a mood to tackle uh, these ones. But this is a duo of designers known as Splatter Spelling. And the games in question are Roads and Boats, Antiqu- Antiquity, and Horseless Carriage. So three games that I'll get to the table at some point. It's not like anything stopping me other than my own, you know, rule book reading <laughs> pace. But uh, yeah, I think Roads and Boats and Antiquity are definitely some older titles of theirs that I definitely want to try. But yeah, that is um, on my two playlist. I definitely want to play all three of these games. I think Horseless Carriage is the number one on that list for me. Mm-hmm. I think it maybe is a little bit more digestible. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I more it feels modern. like it. More modern. Yeah. But because of that, I think Roads and Boats and Antiquity have much more like diverse mechanisms mm-hmm. and are going to feel way different than many modern board games. Yeah. I would like to play all three. But yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It, it's going to take a lot to learn them. <laughs> yeah. And probably the first play is going to be pretty wonky because a lot of the time you don't really understand how those games work until you're halfway through it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely three games that I would love to try out. Yeah, I mean, our group lends itself to these types of games. Um, we do enjoy our heavy games amongst all else. We haven't been playing a lot of heavy games lately, though. Um, so would love to dive into Horseless Carriage specifically again, mostly because it's the newest one for me. I play bus at shops. Mm-hmm. That was fun. And um, food chain magnets always a favorite. Yeah, line. that one's hit the table the most. And some of them I just want to retable again, like Great yeah. Zimbabwe or Indonesia. Um, Great Zimbabwe back. never clicked for me, but I hear that people do love that mechanism. Mm-hmm. But I love Indonesia. I love Excel spreadsheet the game. There's a lot of really cool, a little a lot of cool things in both those games. So. I'm sure but all three of these would be great as well. And that's Splatter Spelling Games in my two playlist. My next one is a collection of games that I have played before, but only once and long enough ago that I don't really remember everything that was going on at the time. But it's a whole series that has really, really intrigued me, but has never quite got to the table in a way that I felt like I've really explored it fully. And that system is the coin system. Mm. I think... All of us are interested in this. Definitely mm-hmm. AB has expressed interest. I think probably Cuba is just where to naturally start, and that's a good place to do it. But all these games are on my list. Uh, they all are super interesting themes. They seem to have really interesting mechanics and play into part of board gaming that I classically don't love, where you know it is very combative. There is a lot of things happening on a map. There is a lot of randomness in the deck of cards that's coming out. There is a lot of predicting what your opponent is going to do in which actions you take or allow them to take. So, mm-hmm. But the mixing of all those together seems so interesting to me that I'm willing to break all these prejudgments that I have on the system and, yeah, would really love to jump in and play not only once but, like, maybe two or three times in a weekend and flush out the system. Yeah, I really want to do... I don't know if you have Falling Sky. That one interests me. I have Falling Sky. A bit. Um, Cuba, Cuba Libre, I've played twice before. 
and it found it quite enjoyable. I've also played, was it Distant Plane? Yeah. yeah, Distant Plane is the one I have played. Yeah. Fire in the Lake is supposed to be really good. I have that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'd love to try Gandhi, but I, yeah, anyway, it is one of the heavier ones. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think I think I would really, really enjoy these games. And it's, yeah, it's been a bucket list item for such a long time that it's hard to leave it off this list for me. Yeah, I love storytelling games or games that tell an overarching scenario in interesting ways. And I feel that's coin, obviously. Um, plus it's rooted in history. So I'm going to learn something at the same time. And it balances out by having these really core decisions that you have to make because every card is different every card every faction is different your goals you're achieving are both at a strategic level as well as a tactical level they're just really interestingly designed games well and intricately related in terms of how the roles balance Mm -hmm. each other in most cases which is also why they are sometimes i think like harder to table because you kind of want that perfect player count for each one yeah, definitely. Power, player count's a, a big part of it. And then also just having players that understand what's happening. Yeah. I think playing it a second or third time in a weekend would really allow you to understand more of what's happening right going from the get-go of the game and not to kind of be fumbling around for the first couple of turns. Anyway, the coin series. My next bucket list item is generated from the thoughts that we play a lot of new games once or twice and then never see them again. Um. I'm so proud that our group completed Gloomhaven. Never did I think that we would (laughs) complete a game that requires more than 10 sessions, let alone 50 sessions, on a dedicated evening every week. But we did, and that was some of the funnest times I've had. So uh, low-hanging fruit on my bucket list, easily get through Frosthaven, get through Ticket to Ride Legacy. Mm -hmm. And I think at least... Both of these games will be on AB's list. Uh, not his actual bucket list, but things to do. Yeah, the next things year. to do. Like, for sure, like, Frosthaven. When we when we start, we'll, we'll finish it. Because, like, same with Gloomhaven. It's just such, such a compelling system. Mm-hmm. Like, I never... <laughs> I was I was part of that campaign and then also did about over 50% of another one and never felt like I was playing the same thing. It yeah, was, we like, just fell in different. love with the dungeon crawling system that gloomhaven brought out uh and i point that out because i feel like robin did not and uh, that is interesting to me as well because he's uh robin's the kind of guy i talk to about gameplay mechanics a lot because he's very conscious of gameplay mechanics and he's very in the know of what's happening amongst board games or what makes um interesting design decisions within a game uh and it just didn't click for him when i i feel when we played first couple of scenarios um Probably won't see him on my Frosthaven table, but yeah, Ticket to Write Legacy. In some ways, it was just the amount of sessions I knew I was going to have to commit to. Mm. I think at the time of my life, I was pretty busy and didn't feel like I could be there uh, every week for it. I, I liked the game a lot. I mean, I'm playing it online right now solo. With no undo button. With no undo button. Well, <laughs> there is an undo button, but it undo- undoes your whole like turn. Which is so brutal when you forget you only have a range of three and then you don't move <laughs> enough far enough to hit the thing and then you don't read. Anyway, it doesn't okay, matter. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I enjoyed the game and I think playing a campaign game could be an item on my bucket list if uh, I was honest about it. 
I think I prefer legacy games just a little bit shorter, but giving that same feel I of mean, significantly, yeah, shorter. significantly shorter. That's mm-hmm. true. But yet the same feel of progression and spending time with the same people every week. I, I totally understand why that's uh, something that's valuable and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in an alternate reality, I would have loved to play Gloomhaven with you guys. And that was Frosthaven and Ticket to Ride Legacy. This next one is one type of experience I've never done. Uh, we've been to, well, I've been to a couple of board game conventions, so and they're all at both in Vancouver. So there's Shucks. Um, we've been to multiple editions of Shucks, and then all editions of Shucks, all editions of Shucks, and then uh, TCTC, which was a local Vancouver Timbal uh, City table top top convention yeah and i would like to one day go to like a one of the major conventions um and i guess there's two types of those like one is probably one where you play uh more and for me that's probably maybe one of the dice tower dice tower conventions um seems like the place to do that or bgg so either of those cruise yeah Yeah. bgg at sea yeah like the bgg ones also seem great um, and then another one is uh, Essen, which is less of player, but it's really, I think, the premier one. I'm a little less interested in Essen just because, I don't know, I don't want to lug a ton, a ton of games back. Like, I'm not going to re- be, really be shopping that hardcore. Like, see so people, like, ship boxes back. But it would be interesting just to see what it's like. Yeah, I had Essen on my list of bucket list items. It's... um. I know. To me, it, in my head, I've built it up as to the home of board games, just because the majority of games I like playing are Euro games, and that is a premier European game convention. Um, I would take an empty suitcase and just fill her up mm-hmm. and be happy. Yeah, I do one suitcase, uh, but <laughs> it does require a lot of research. I think of like where and and rushing to get the <laughs> get the releases you want. Um, but yeah, super interested. Yeah, I think Essen would be the would be the convention to go to if I had to pick one. Playing games with people is generally what I'm looking to do at conventions, so Essen isn't always mm-hmm. exactly that. But I think having that experience is something that I definitely would like to uh, definitely like to try. Yeah, that's why the BGG ones fit like are like right. really tempting, just because they're a little bit more well, they're not reasonable reasonable but like the hotels and stuff that you take place at are pretty uh, reasonable and that was conventions are fun <laughs> conventions are fun my number six is another game that i just have never had a chance to play um it's a game that i sought after for quite a long time eventually did get a copy looked for the expansion eventually got a copy but have never got to the table and that is Merchant of Marauders. Merchant of Marauders is a pirate game very similar to Sid Meier's Pirates, which is a video game uh, kind of in the same system. You play a pirate or a merchant uh, or a pirate hunter, basically, and you run around the board and trade things and blow ships up uh, and do small events, small little quests. It's a pretty old game, so Mm. it's pretty long. There's a lot of randomness. Uh, it's you know the mechanics are a little outdated you might say but it is probably one of my favorite themes in board games and Mm -hmm. it is maybe until dead reckoning the premier pirate game uh, in board gaming 
Yeah, so Robin loves pirates. <laughs> you know. I love pirates. He loves pirates. He loves piracy. He likes setting sail. All of those things. And every time he brings a new pirate game, he gets really excited only to be let down by poor mechanics. Mm. So this is... You have to understand, this is like... Finding a good, like, solid pirate game is his grail. And even... Uh, even when he was saying Dead Reckoning, I could tell that, you know, Dead Reckoning, while a good game, mm-hmm. I would say it's not a great pirate game. But I would play Merchants and Marauders. Merchants and Marauders. Yeah, it's an interesting theme because our group's not really conflict heavy and pirates scream conflict heavy. And a lot of it, I think, has failed to live up to a lot of that hype mm-hmm. of of balancing how does a euro game because we again we prefer euro games largely balance that kind of level of interaction with everything you know historically law of pirates yeah this may be a game that even when we do end up playing it is not going to live up to the hype that i've right. built in my mind so maybe i shouldn't even open the box and i should just uh, leave it in there you know what i really liked as a pirate game uh what did you really like probably seafall that was your number one <laughs> yeah yeah i never actually got to play seafall me neither is, is there pirates in there? i mean i assume ab played it i played one scenario and took four hours there's a ship or one if- game <laughs> it was terrible okay. oh god i mean that's the kind of game that i just okay it was also partially the players and also everybody oh. fumbling for every like everything in the rule book right. at the same yeah. time but it just was not a great experience no forgotten waters oh yeah oh yeah that was really good i feel like pirates games have a lot of lore to them Mm -hmm. and it's the stories that really make a good pirate tale yeah and that was an extraordinarily good game for that and mainly probably i'm the only one that feels that way because i expected it to be just another kind of ad-lib storybook game but we were actually doing things making Mm -hmm. decisions and both in a co-op way and in a way that just benefits my character's growth which to me is a pirate thing to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So did you try that one? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I did like that. It was good. Right. It is, you know, I, the story, like you, Jim said, it, it's really good at telling stories and it kind of does the thing. It's more a storytelling game. Yeah. A, yeah. 100% a storytelling game. Yeah. It's not my ideal pirate game, but it was a really good game and I would happily play it again. Like, I wonder if there's one, was there one on the horizon that could potentially be a good, we were looking at it. That was coming up? Yeah. There, it's the one that is designed by vancouver right right oh yeah seas, seas of, of havoc. havoc that's more like a tactical shooter game mm, okay it's yeah doesn't i mean it's pirate themed right but i i guess like my ideal pirate game is yeah lots of exploration lots mm-hmm. of trading lots of upgrading your ship i think hiring a crew is like such a big part of um pirate games for me mm-hmm. yeah i i don't really don't think merchant marauders is gonna fit the bill but it is a game that's been on my bucket list for so long that I couldn't not include it here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Zaya Legends of a Drift system is like a very similar pirate-esque game, which is in space. Space pirates. Space pirates. Right. So not quite the same, but maybe that'll be something that fills this gap in my life eventually. There's the Firefly board game as well. Yeah, that's true. I haven't played or read for rules or anything, but I know there's the People Sunday group mm-hmm. are into it. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, Merchants Marauders and any pirate game that ends up being my number one pirate game. I'm in a constant search. 
Why don't you be the change you want to see in the world, Robin? The next item on my bucket list, uh, AB has already achieved the status, as we've talked about <laughs> on previous <laughs> podcasts. Um, it's held in very high esteem now. Yeah. Uh, roles in different social circles, if you get my drift. <laughs> um, I would love to just make my own board game. I listed published, but I don't really actually care about publishing it. I just want to make a good board game that our group enjoys with a fun theme and actually not having it published i feel expands it to limitless opportunities because um there's a funny exercise that goes on in our group it's not that funny but it is fun and we try to take games and figure out how to slap a pokemon theme on them (laughs) Mm -hmm. so robin has print and played his own challenges pokemon game uh ab's done this like Twice, twice now, yeah, twice. right? Yeah, Pokemon themed Avenue or Kokoro, Kokoro Avenue, the Kodama. Um, so it's Pokoro, and <laughs> the other one was taking Equinox, Equinox uh, by Reiner Kinitsia, and now it's Pokenox. Yeah. Um, before we used to have sessions at my place, uh, we used to meet up at a cafe close to where we, uh, a couple of us lived. And on occasion, uh, Robin would rock in and be like, I have a new game idea. And I've written it down on some cards. Let's test it out and see where it goes. And um, I think our group especially is very well balanced in, in terms of what we find interesting, fun, and just joyous, joyous to play. Uh, and I would love to collaborate with these guys to... to uh, bring out a board game for the greater group to mm. to play, and that's on my bucket list. Design a game with friends. Oh, mm. I might try out designing a trick taking game. I have a general idea of one, but yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good a really good choice, Jim. Uh, definitely something that is on my list or adjacent. It, yeah, yeah, definitely something I would love to do. The one card I designed in the Marokaibo expansion. And you won't shut up about yeah, it yeah. every day. <laughs> it took me about like, it was my first idea. I submitted it in that email. It was like 30 seconds. Like, how about this? And they're like, like, yes. Yes. No to your other More, ones. please. Yeah, no to your all the other submissions. <laughs> now but he's this, on a yes. free game contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three card contract. Yeah. This next one is a genre I don't know if I will like but is something that I've wanted to do. And these ones in particular are just very, um, I've always been intrigued by them just because the thematics of them. Uh, But there are two games in this uh, one, which is one is Here I Stand and and another one is Virgin Queen. And these two are war games, both taking place within like 40 to 50 year time periods, very historically themed. Virgin Queen in particular is about the reign of uh, Philip II of Spain and Elizabeth I. And yeah, is about religion, politics. Like in Here I Stand, the papacy is one of the factions. <laughs> so it's very much about the politics and the kind of influence around that time. So it has war as part of it, but politics is a, is a big uh, part of it. All. And, and the religious influence around that time. And these two are like bucket list games because they are pretty much six player games. And they are about eight hours each. So they are very long. And 
seem very interesting because I'm, I'm very interested in that time period. And yeah, so one day maybe I'll I'll get a copy of one of these and force seven other people play, <laughs> or six five other people play it with me for. I mean, you wouldn't have hours. to force me, maybe. Yeah. Um, so I'm not a history buff by any means, but any game that is laden with core ideas um, turned into gameplay mechanics from history, I'm down with because that's how I learned about. Hey, interesting things happened in the world, and this is the medium of which I learned the most from, whether or not it's accurate or not. I'm sure there'll be a forward in the rule book about things like that. But um, yeah, uh, when I first started playing PAX games, PAX mm-hmm. Premier, PAX Porifiana, I uh, learned a lot and mm-hmm. still had a great time. Uh, the impact of playing certain cards out and acknowledging what actually happened during that time uh, is a special feeling a lot of games now don't have as we move more into abstract themes for better or for worse uh, i think i will personally miss learning a lot of uh, about history and cultures through board games um hmm. like the the thing that's interesting with these well one is also that i don't know whether i like war games like i've never really played like a long war game of this sort um but but just how thematically integrated they are in that certain time period so there's a lot that happens within those uh the time frame of these games uh, that really change the course of at least western history so i'm almost the opposite of you jim i would definitely play these games but i think diving into the source material and understanding what thematic choices or thematic things are being uh denoted on the board is what would really draw me into a game like this i think yeah, kind of like Dune, learning about it and then going into the game uh, would make a big difference. And I would definitely play one of these at least just to see how it is. Eight hours is a long time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a commitment. Okay, and that was war games such as Here I Stand or Virgin Queen. My number seven is Magic the Gathering. I've played Magic the Gathering for like 20 years now. Yeah, more than 20 years now, which is kind of crazy. Uh, And it's probably my favorite game ever. It's one that I have definitely played the most. And in Magic, there is a type of format that you can play called a cube draft. And a cube draft is when you get eight people together, you all build decks with a set uh, number of cards that are pre-chosen before the draft. And you play those decks against each other in kind of tournament style, and you make a night of it. It is by far my favorite way to play Magic. It's really social, really enjoyable, and has the aspect of cube which lets you kind of design the cards you're playing with before you play the games Mm -hmm. usually when you do cube you pick from all the magic cards in the world you put your favorite ones together and you make a cool set of cards that everyone gets to enjoy Mm -hmm. for this bucket list item i've chosen my own homemade set of magic cards so last year two years ago now yeah so two years ago now i had a bunch of extra time on my hands and designed around 300 to 400 magic cards to be a cube. I have not printed them out yet, but they're all on my computer. And one day I hopefully will get to print them out and play them with seven other people in a cube draft. It took forever to design these cards. Uh, and I'm not sure if we'll actually ever get printed, but it's definitely a dream and a bucket list item that hopefully one day will come true. So I play a lot of magic the gathering back at high school. Um, until I realized how much money it cost me. And I, 
couldn't keep up. Um, and this was something I did, you know, at the back of the chemistry class, writing and creating my own Magic the Gathering set. There's something satisfying about building card combos and designing something that might not see the light of day, but has some kind of overarching theme and um, iterating on something that you know works. In particular, this is, you know, the Magic the Gathering framework is a card game that is so intelligently designed um and i think that's evident how long it's lasted and how mm-hmm. it has managed to reinvent itself set by set i mean i've forgotten a l- I-, I haven't played since meriden so i'm probably really bad at magic now um it's black still good i play black is that a thing yeah black's great okay yeah. they're all great they're, they're all, all good in oh. their own way i have mm-hmm. never played magic so yeah. i do not know uh, anything but a cube's really smart as well. Like my favorite format when I played Magic was, uh, you know, draft day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sealed. So turning up the weekend of when a new set just dropped, you pay your fee, you get a box full of cards and free booster packs, and you design the best deck you can, um, and you play off against other players who are doing the same thing. Something self-contained that's not buy the best cards, put them together, and then just demolish the opposition because you can just pay more than everyone else. Mm. I love that. So Sealed and Cube is definitely the formats to play around for me. The draft day one is interesting where everybody's learning that new. Well, uh, there's probably been a preview of most of the cards, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they preview them. But yeah, that's what Cube is as well. It's definitely mm-hmm. the most like board game friendly way of playing Magic. It has the most similarities with board games these days. Yeah, it's why Millennium Blades and Challenges really appeal to Robin and myself in particular, just because it recreates those tournaments and that atmosphere in modern mm-hmm. board games. And that is playing Cube Draft with a custom set of Magic cards. Cool. During the recent pandemic, I think a lot of us moved to playing board games or trying to play board games online. Um, so there are many different ways you can do this i remember again in high school i ran a i didn't run i helped organize playing board games by forum post actually if you're ever on the penny arcade forums from back in the day where shucks wasn't a thing and pax was they have a board game forum where people are playing chaos in the old world Mm -hmm. um, by post and literally i think there's hundreds of games that have completed on just their Mm. farms alone um but yeah that's a tangent i want to win at every board game arena game that i have played (laughs) simple as that i took advantage of board game arena because they're a great service and they have many games and continue to have many games that are legitimately great games so Mm -hmm. this was like the easiest way during the pandemic for me to play new games and uh really explore especially older games uh online so i think i've played probably about 70 percent of the collection on board game arena including the really weird card games that are on there Mm -hmm. but i'm not good at games so i would love to just prove myself wrong and grab a victory really my aim is 100 elo on every game on board game arena but that's more than one victory yes and it's hard to describe what elo is right so i will just start 
low and try to gain a victory in every game mm-hmm. and then see if I can work my way up to 100 ELO. Uh, the first game on my list, which I've played, I think, four games of on Board Game Arena without a victory, is Madeira, which I'm currently playing three games now. It is a tough game. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a specific game that does not play to my strengths. Well, and the people that are probably playing on it, just because it hasn't been reprinted in, in so long, and the latest reprint is held up what seems to be indefinitely, <laughs> um, are people have played a lot, likely. Yeah. yeah. So they were probably very good. Yeah. I, yeah, it, it's something... I know I always end up going into whole of certain games, but it would be interesting to go back and try to win ones I haven't, for sure. Um, or like when I first got in board game, it was Puerto Rico that was like trying to like get a win, and it took so long because everybody's so good <laughs> at it to get a win. But I remember uh, one day you yeah. turned up to games, telling us you were playing a game of Puerto Rico. And you did something so out of the normal meta that you were called out on it. Yeah, they were like, why did you attack me? I'm last. (laughs) I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) So it's, yeah. It's it's also really interesting to see those metas online. It does give you that opportunity to deep dive in games and to find things like that and just to be disruptive is kind of hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is such a cool thing to try to achieve. It's just like completely unattainable for me. Basically, I, I mean, I just don't play that much on Board Game Arena. And when I do, mm. like AB, I just play like 50 games of the same game. But I think it's such a good way to kind of learn new games and not just learn the rules, but understand how they work. And I, yeah, I think it's a really a really cool way to, to think about how you spend your time playing games. And that was my goal, to win one game of every game I played on Board Game Arena. Do you think you would ever like get scared? Like, you wouldn't join a new game because you're like, <laughs> add another no, 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 one no, no. on your What thing? if I'll never win this one? Yeah. You, you guys this is know. the rest of my life. You guys yeah. know that I join games. On, uh, I probably shouldn't say this online because people are going to hate it when I join their games. <laughs> oh, that yeah, don't, don't say no. that. Yeah. yeah. I join games on Board Game Arena to learn the rules of how to play that game. Yeah, oh, you're so not the only one. Lots of people do that. Yeah. So I've had big board game conventions. This one is another like, kind of experience thing, uh, but specifically a very niche convention. There's a couple of these that, that happen. Like there's ones for 18xx. There's ones that are specifically for types of war games. Um, this one is called T8 and it's in Cincinnati. And I think it's invite only too. So I'd have to probably like message people and, and see if I could get an invite to it. But it's specifically a trick-taking convention. <laughs> and there's actually two. There's one that happens in, in Portland as well. And I'm like, oh, Wait, and you I want just... to go to the Cincinnati? Well, one? I didn't know one of them. Like I could take the train down to Portland for the weekend or something. And it like seems so interesting to be kind of immersed in this system. I'm kind of enamored with <laughs> like, it's a cult. It's a cult. It's a cult. It yeah. is joined a cult. <laughs> yeah, I've joined a cult of <laughs> trick taking card games. But I know it, it seems like such a niche thing. But I know really, really intrigued um, to go to one of these. We should just do a trip to Portland. And start playing trick-taking games at various cafes and see if we get scouted. Yeah, yeah. Hey, are you guys playing yeah. <laughs> Voodoo Prince? Yeah. <laughs> you should play like the most obscure trick-taking games. We yeah, just flew yeah. this one in from Japan. Uh, no I one's ha- seen oh, it I yet. have one that is under 200 copies. Whoa, so we'll, we'll just play that. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that's how we'll get our invite. That's how we'll get in. Yeah, yeah uh, I think just yeah. like the idea of a niche con is really cool. And a, a niche 
community, like, mm-hmm. you know, Discord server with a bunch of people that are interested in the same thing you are, and then you end up going to that place physically in real life and meeting those same people. I think that's really interesting and part of the hobby that, you know, I haven't dived into too much, but is, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I love the fact that it is niche. I think mm-hmm. people are more interesting to me if they have like something really specific that they love doing and they have an obvious passion for and they can tell me things about it that I would have never have known uh, by either reading it on the internet or just by any other means by apart from talking to someone who's really, really into this topic. And it's great to see trick taking is that for AB. And he's gone out of his rolling right phase. Because, yeah. you know, we had a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer the trick takers. <laughs> Me yeah. too. Yeah. So it's good. It's good. Yeah. We're moving up. Yeah. We're not complaining that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, a, just a little bit. But yeah, that is going to a trick taking convention. Very cool. This next one is the reason that I thought about doing this list in, in general. And that is because there are two games that have sat on my shelf for a long time that I have on my bucket list and have not yet played kind of, uh, and would love to get at the table. And those are the original Starcraft game and the original world of Warcraft game. Mm-hmm. These are huge giant box games from you know, not that long ago, but you know, maybe 15 years ago uh, that are pretty hard to find, but really encapsulate a lot of my youth. I played both. Wow too much and Mm -hmm. starcraft 2 way too much um and i love playing both of them and don't really regret my time doing that and have definitely influenced my life in many ways and i've met many people through those games uh and playing the board game versions are just something that seems so naturally something i should do Mm. so yeah so embarrassing is in that you have multiple copies (laughs) (laughs) of the the same game (laughs) Yeah, I have too many copies of StarCraft. Yeah. Uh, I think... He's, he's cornering the market. I'm cornering the market, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I have multiple copies of both these games, but... You have multiple <laughs> copies of a Wolcroft game? Yeah, but they're not complete. Uh-huh. So the idea of getting multiple copies is because these games are so hard to find, often when you find them, they are missing a bunch of pieces. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So slowly I'm like putting everything together so that I have a complete copy of both games that are in pretty good condition as well. Some of the miniatures were broken in the first edition that I had. Um, so buying a you know a copy that's half full of cards is okay because it has the miniatures that I want. Right. So stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, and I still don't have the expansions for the WoW game, which apparently add a lot. But mm. honestly, at this point, if I'm not going to even get to play <laughs> it more than once every couple of years, what's the point? Um, but yeah, definitely StarCraft is the one that I would really, really love to play. We've mm-hmm. played StarCraft before. We've played the 40K version of it, which was pretty good. Um, but I think the theme being something that's so dear to my heart would really make a difference right playing that game was it based on was it after starcraft or was it during starcraft 2 it's these were it is during the original starcraft okay which for me you know i liked original starcraft i played it as a kid but i didn't put you know thousands of hours into starcraft 1 i put them into starcraft 2 Mm -hmm. but yeah it's all it's all basically the same thing what'd you play wait let me guess (laughs) whoa (laughs) Terran? Yeah. 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 What what is that supposed to mean? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I've played the World of Warcraft game several times. Oh yeah. Back in New Zealand. Uh my friend uh had a copy. It is bad. I think it's globally panned as being 
bad, but <laughs> I enjoy it because I think you need to have played World of Warcraft, especially Vanilla Edition, to really appreciate the game because the game is generally trying to be true to the MMO experience, which it's uh, a grind. It's a grind. You level up, you gain spells, but you're also competing against the opposite faction. So it's a it's kind of a team two v two game or three v three, depending on how many people are there. Yeah, I think one of the main reasons that a lot of the games on my list I haven't played before is because you know I do want to find the right group for it. I think, like you said, if you're playing the WoW game, you want to play with a bunch of people that played WoW a bunch. Mm-hmm. And that can, you know, get all those little references and enjoy just the fact of drawing a card and, hey, I know what's on this card and we can all talk about it or whatever. Yeah, I hope they're more thematically. Like, I was a big Age of Empires player. Oh, yeah. So, like, when I played the Age of Empires board game, I was like, wow, Age of Empires. But it was nothing <sighs> Age of Empires. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I do have that. I'd like to play that again, but. It's a great game. Yeah. It's, like, a good it's game. actually a good game, yeah. but. It just wasn't Adrian. It doesn't feel very Adrian. You know what else I picked up recently is Age of Mythology, the board game. Oh. Did you, do either of you play Age of Mythology? I played Age of Mythology, yeah. yeah. Okay. There's no board in the board game. The board itself is myth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a card game. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Which to me is like, why are we, why would they call it the board game? I know. What? And like (laughs) the, the whole map is like the huge. The cool part of right. Age of Mythology is taking your units and going to attack someone. Yeah, I wonder what the best like translation of a RTS type game to a board game really is. Like, I don't know if I've ever played a great one. But yeah. There's the Serlin one, which is pretty good. Um, Codex. Oh. It's like a mix of Magic and Starcraft and, well, mostly just those oh. two. Uh, and the other one that's good is... One by Jeff Engelstein. I'm not going to remember the name of the game. But it's like the most accurate. Okay. To a RTS game. I have that. We could play Aries Project. Aries Project. Mm. Oh, that. Yeah. Right, right. yeah. Um, my last one is something I've done twice before, but I actually haven't done it in probably about six years now. So something I do want to try again. Um, it is... Another game that is very specifically, well, the game itself isn't only limited to player count, but I find it such an experience playing it at this player count, but it's a six player dominant species. And it is, yeah, it's a great game um, at four, like I would say four to six players, but at the full six players, like the interaction is so interesting uh, between all the different uh, species on the board. And it's just, a great system and do you want to get it back to the table at some point uh, with six people that enjoy the game do we play it at six that time we played i think it was five yeah yeah i've done the full six player twice my yeah my favorite one was um i was the mammals which start on the like the lowest turn order i would say like the slowest turn order and i clawed my way all the way up to the first <laughs> <laughs> took initiative i really like this game and I, I also would love to play it again it's been quite a while um yeah finding the time it's, it's just it's almost always the time mm-hmm. it, it's, it's probably about game. four or five hours yeah. yeah with six players and it's 
fairly, I mean, it's pretty crunchy. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot of stuff going on, and it's pretty aggressive. You can really get screwed out of the game if things yeah. go poorly. Yeah, like, it's good to have people have played before to understand what's potential things are in the deck. And sometimes when I teach, I'll say, like, hey, watch out for these cards, because they will wipe you out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't even played Marine, which I would like to try mm-hmm. as well. It only plays up to four, but yeah, it's just a really cool game and an experience that I should probably be trying to have every year because it's, yeah, one of my favorites for sure. Okay, and that was Dominant Species at six players. Yeah, so it's been a super productive conversation about bucket lists. I think a lot of it goes to show that, uh, you know, we our group is pretty great. You know? <laughs> can't say that yeah Yeah. Uh, pretty great we Uh, like board games uh we're pretty great we're pretty great Um, people uh and we just like tables can sponsor us (laughs) 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 well game tables aren't gonna sponsor bad people (laughs) boardgametables.com now it's super interesting to see that a lot of our bucket list items is mainly due to time you know it's i think we've got an alignment of what we want to do uh, across board gaming we all want to do a bit of design we want to deep dive into games we want to play a lot of the unique things that are coming out because we are in a booming time of board games where there are a lot of very interesting diverse ideas heading the market the evolution of board games i think is really at its peak uh over the last three to four years and it doesn't seem to be slowing down uh, so we expect a lot of these titles and uh to continue to be on our bucket list as things come in and uh, just don't get reprinted, which is unfortunate. I'm excited to talk about them too. Like if we do ever achieve these things or we play a game that we really want to play for a long time on our bucket list, it'll be fun to talk about if they achieved that same sense of excitement that we thought they would or Mm. uh, were as fun as maybe we had hoped. So yeah, definitely revisit these items as they cross our path and um, talk about them more on the podcast well thanks for tuning in to this episode of the discount pile as we went through our board gaming bucket lists i think it was a very special episode as we managed to go through a lot of things that are really important as individuals in the board gaming scene a lot of it we love to see weren't just individual board games but experiences that really make this hobby as exciting as it is And I'm sure as this hobby grows, there'll be more things that we add to our bucket list. And I, for one, am happy to be going through this board gaming journey with the people in my life. That's been us on this Saturday afternoon. And oh, look, there's no smoke in the sky. What a great day to maybe go outside, see some friends, and maybe play a nice game of Concordia while drinking a fine chilled Pilsner. I've been Jim... I've been Avi. I'm Robin. And we'll see you next time on the discard pile. Oh, we weren't saying that all together. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We're sure that our listeners out there have their own bucket list full of ideas that are very similar to what we have and maybe some different ideas. If you do have some different ideas, feel free to reach out to Owen349 on BoardGameGeek to let us know and maybe we'll read out those ideas in the next podcast. Do we? Okay. Will we?
Just volunteering. Oh my god. Why why would you that's like of all the places. I can't remember what I said, I blacked out. What's the interest music again? I need a reminder. <laughs> That's it. It's, it's the Mario theme song. Yeah, yeah. But two octaves too high. Yeah. That probably pretty close. Do 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 do. Now we're underground. Yeah. Uh, Wait, don't put my previous jingles in, or else we might get <laughs> DMCA. Uh, DMCA. Yeah. You know what? Seven seconds. It's I don't fine. think it was that close. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was real close, though. I think it will be okay. I think we'll be just fine. Okay. Thank you.